Chapter Six, Part Two of the Teeth of the Tiger. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Teeth of the Tiger by Maurice Leblanc. Chapter Six: The Man with the Ebony Walking Stick. The inquiry which he had to make related to events that were certainly quite as strange as those which he had just witnessed and while the part played by gaston sauverin in the pursuit of the mornington inheritance deserved all his attention the behaviour of mademoiselle levasseur puzzled him no less he could not forget the cry of terror that escaped the girl while he was telephoning to mazeroux nor the scared expression of her face now it was impossible to attribute that cry and that expression to anything other than the words which she had uttered in reply to mazeroux what madame fauville tried to commit suicide the fact was certain, and the connection between the announcement of the attempt and Mademoiselle Levasseur's extreme emotion was too obvious for Panena not to try to draw conclusions. He went straight to his study, and at once examined the arch leading to the telephone-box. This arch, which was about six feet wide and very low, had no door, but merely a velvet hanging, which was nearly always drawn up, leaving the arch uncovered. Under the hanging, among the mouldings of the cornice, was a button that had only to be pressed to bring down the iron curtain against which he had thrown himself two hours before. He worked the catch two or three times over, and his experiments proved to him in the most explicit fashion that the mechanism was in perfect order and unable to act without outside intervention. Was he then to conclude that the girl had wanted to kill him? But what could be her motive? He was on the point of ringing and sending for her, so as to receive the explanation which he was resolved to demand from her. However, the minutes passed and he did not ring. He saw her through the window as she walked slowly across the yard, her body swinging gracefully from her hips. A ray of sunshine lit up the gold of her hair. All the rest of the morning he lay on a sofa, smoking cigars. He was ill at ease, dissatisfied with himself and with the course of events, not one of which brought him the least glimmer of truth. In fact, all of them seemed to deepen the darkness in which he was battling. Eager to act, the moment he did so he encountered fresh obstacles that paralyzed his powers of action and left him in utter ignorance of the nature of his adversaries. But at twelve o'clock, just as he had rung for lunch, his butler entered the study with a tray in his hand, and exclaimed with an agitation which showed that the household was aware of Don Luis's ambiguous position, "'Sir, it's the prefect of police.' "'Eh?' said Perena. "'Where is he?' downstairs sir i did not know what to do at first and i thought of telling mademoiselle levasseur but are you sure here is his card sir perenna took the card from the tray and read m de malion's name he went to the window opened it and with the aid of the overhead mirror looked into the place du palais bourbon half a dozen men were walking about he recognized them they were his usual watchers those whom he had got rid of on the evening before and who had come to resume their observation no others he said to himself and the prefect of police has none but the best intentions toward me it was what i expected and i think that i was well advised to save his life m de malion entered without a word all that he did was to bend his head slightly with a movement that might be taken for a bow as for weber who was with him he did not even give himself the trouble to disguise his feelings toward such a man as perenna Don Luis took no direct notice of this attitude, but in revenge ostentatiously omitted to push forward more than one chair. M. de Malion, however, preferred to walk about the room, with his hands behind his back, as if to continue his reflections before speaking. The silence was prolonged. Don Luis waited patiently. Then suddenly the prefect stopped and said, "'When you left the boulevard Richard Wallace, monsieur, did you go straight home?' Don Luis did not demur to this cross-examining manner, and answered, "'Yes, monsieur le préfet.' 
Here, to your study. Here, to my study. M. de Malion paused and then went on. I left thirty or forty minutes after you and drove to the police office in my car. There I received this express letter. Read it. You will see that it was handed in at the bourse at half-past nine. Don Luis took the letter and read the following words written in capital letters. This is to inform you that Gaston Sauveran, after making his escape, rejoined his accomplice Perena, who, as you know, is none other than Arsène Lupin. Arsène Lupin gave you Sauveran's address in order to get rid of him and to receive the Mornington inheritance. They were reconciled this morning, and Arsène Lupin suggested a safe hiding-place to Sauveran. It is easy to prove their meeting and their complicity. Sauveran handed Lupin the half of the walking-stick which he had carried away unawares. You will find it under the cushions of a sofa standing between the two windows of Panena's study. Don Luis shrugged his shoulders. The letter was absurd, for he had not once left his study. He folded it up quietly and handed it to the prefect of police without comment. He was resolved to let M. de Malion take the initiative in the conversation. The prefect asked, What is your reply to the accusation? None, Monsieur le Préfet. Still, it is quite plain and easy to prove or disprove. Very easy indeed, Monsieur le Préfet. The sofa is there, between the windows. Monsieur de Malion waited two or three seconds and then walked to the sofa and moved the cushions. Under one of them lay the handle end of the walking stick. Don Luis could not repress a gesture of amazement and anger. He had not for a second contemplated the possibility of such a miracle, and it took him unawares. However, he mastered himself. After all, there was nothing to prove that this half of a walking-stick was really that which had been seen in Gaston Sauverin's hands, and which Sauverin had carried away by mistake. "'I have the other half on me,' said the prefect of police, replying to the unspoken objection. Deputy Chief Weber himself picked it up on the boulevard Richard Wallace. Here it is.' He produced it from the inside pocket of his overcoat and tried it. The ends of the two pieces fitted exactly. There was a fresh pause. Perena was confused, as were those, invariably, upon whom he himself used to inflict this kind of defeat and humiliation. He could not get over it. By what prodigy had Gaston Sauveran managed, in that short space of twenty minutes, to enter the house and make his way into this room? Even the theory of an accomplice living in the house did not do much to make the phenomenon easier to understand. It upsets all my calculations, he thought, and I shall have to go through the mill this time. I was able to baffle Madame Fauville's accusation and to foil the trick of the turquoise. But Monsieur de Malion will never admit that this is a similar attempt, and that Gaston Sauverin has tried, as Marie Fauville did, to get me out of the way by compromising me and procuring my arrest. Well, exclaimed Monsieur de Malion impatiently, answer, defend yourself. No, Monsieur le Préfet, it is not for me to defend myself. M. de Malion stamped his foot and growled, "'In that case, in that case, since you confess, since—' He put his hand on the latch of the window, ready to open it. A whistle, and the detectives would burst in, and all would be over. "'Shall I have your inspectors called, Monsieur le Préfet?' asked Don Luis. M. de Malion did not reply. He let go the window-latch, and started walking about the room again. And suddenly, while Perena was wondering why he still hesitated, for the second time the prefect planted himself in front of him and said, "'And suppose I looked upon the incident of the walking-stick as not having occurred, or, rather, as an incident which, while doubtless proving the treachery of your servants, is not able to compromise yourself. Suppose I took only the services which you have already rendered us into consideration. In a word, suppose I left you free.' Perena could not help smiling. Notwithstanding the affair of the walking-stick, and though appearances were all against him, at the moment when everything seemed to be going wrong, 
Things were taking the course which he had prophesied from the start, and which he had mentioned to Mazeroux during the inquiry on the boulevard Suchet. They wanted him. Free? he asked. No more supervision? Nobody shadowing my movements? Nobody. And what if the press campaign around my name continues, if the papers succeed, by means of certain pieces of tittle-tattle, of certain coincidences, in creating a public outcry, if they call for measures against me? Those measures shall not be taken. Then I have nothing to fear. Nothing. Will M. Weber abandon his prejudices against me? At any rate, he will act as though he did, won't you, Weber? The deputy chief uttered a few grunts which might be taken as an expression of assent, and Don Luis at once exclaimed, "'In that case, Monsieur le Préfet, I am sure of gaining the victory, and of gaining it in accordance with the wishes and requirements of the authorities.' And so, by a sudden change in the situation, after a series of exceptional circumstances, the police themselves, bowing before Don Luis Perena's superior qualities of mind, acknowledging all that he had already done, and foreseeing all that he would be able to do, decided to back him up, begging for his assistance, and offering him, so to speak, the command of affairs. It was a flattering compliment. Was it addressed only to Don Luis Perena? And had Lupin, the terrible, undaunted Lupin, no right to claim his share? Was it possible to believe that M. de Malion, in his heart of hearts, did not admit the identity of the two persons? Nothing in the prefect's attitude gave any clue to his secret thoughts. He was suggesting to Don Luis Perena one of those compacts which the police are often obliged to conclude in order to gain their ends. The compact was concluded, and no more was said upon the subject. "'Do you want any particulars of me?' asked the prefect of police. Yes, Monsieur le Préfet, the paper spoke of a notebook found in poor Inspector Vidot's pocket. Did the notebook contain a clue of any kind? No, personal notes, lists of disbursements, that's all. Wait, I was forgetting, there was a photograph of a woman, about which I have not yet been able to obtain the least information. Besides, I don't suppose that it bears upon the case, and I have not sent it to the newspapers. Look, here it is. Perena took the photograph which the Prefect handed him, and gave a start that did not escape Monsieur de Malion's eye. Do you know the lady? No, no, Monsieur le Préfet, I thought I did, but no, there's merely a resemblance, a family likeness, which I will verify if you can leave the photograph with me till this evening. Till this evening, yes. When you have done with it, give it back to Sergeant Mazeroux, whom I will order to work in concert with you in everything that relates to the Mornington case. The interview was now over. The Prefect went away. Don Luis saw him to the door. As Monsieur de Malion was about to go down the steps, he turned and said simply, you saved my life this morning, but for you, that scoundrel Sauvrin. Oh, Monsieur le Préfet, said Don Luis, modestly protesting. Yes, I know you are in the habit of doing that sort of thing. All the same, you must accept my thanks. And the Prefect of Police made a bow such as he would really have made to Don Luis Perena, the Spanish noble, the hero of the Foreign Legion. As for Weber, he put his two hands in his pockets, walked past with the look of a muzzled mastiff, and gave his enemy a glance of fierce hatred. "'By Jupiter!' thought Don Luis. "'There's a fellow who won't miss me when he gets the chance to shoot.' Looking through a window, he saw M. de Malion's motor-car drive off. The detectives fell in behind the deputy chief, and left the Place du Palais Bourbon. The siege was raised. "'And now to work,' said Don Luis. "'My hands are free, and we shall make things hum.' He called the butler. "'Serve lunch, and ask Mademoiselle Levasseur to come and speak to me immediately after.' He went to the dining-room and sat down, placing on the table the photograph which M. de Malion had left behind, and bending over it he examined it attentively. 
It was a little faded, a little worn, as photographs have a tendency to become when they lie about in pocket-books or among papers. But the picture was quite clear. It was the radiant picture of a young woman in evening dress, with bare arms and shoulders, with flowers and leaves in her hair, and a smile upon her face. Mademoiselle Lavassar, Mademoiselle Lavassar, he said, is it possible? In a corner was a half-obliterated and hardly visible signature. He made out, Florence, the girl's name, no doubt, and he repeated, Mademoiselle Lavassar, Florence Lavassar. How did her photograph come to be in Inspector Verot's pocket-book? And what is the connection between this adventure and the reader of the Hungarian Count from whom I took over the house? He remembered the incident of the Iron Curtain. He remembered the article in the Echo de France, an article aimed against him, of which he had found the rough draft in his own courtyard. And above all, he thought of the problem of that broken walking-stick conveyed into his study. And while his mind was striving to read these events clearly, while he tried to settle the part played by Mademoiselle Lavassar, his eyes remained fixed upon the photograph, and he gazed absent-mindedly at the pretty lines of the mouth, the charming smile, the graceful curve of the neck, the admirable sweep of the shoulders. The door opened suddenly, and Mademoiselle Lavassar burst into the room. Perenna, who had dismissed the butler, was raising to his lips a glass of water which he had just filled for himself. She sprang forward, seized his arm, snatched the glass from him, and flung it on the carpet, where it smashed to pieces. "'Have you drunk any of it? Have you drunk any of it?' she gasped in a choking voice. He replied, "'No, not yet. Why?' She stammered, "'The water in that bottle! The water in that bottle!' "'Well? It's poisoned!' He leapt from his chair, and in his turn gripped her arm fiercely. "'What's that?' "'Poisoned? Are you certain? Speak!' In spite of his usual self-control, he was this time thoroughly alarmed. Knowing the terrible effects of the poison employed by the miscreants whom he was attacking, recalling the corpse of Inspector Verot, the corpses of Hippolyte Fauville and his son, he knew that, trained though he was to resist comparatively large doses of poison, he could not have escaped the deadly action of this. It was a poison that did not forgive, that killed, surely and fatally. The girl was silent. He raised his voice in command. "'Answer me. Are you certain?' "'No. It was an idea that entered my head, a presentiment, certain coincidences.' It was as though she regretted her words and now tried to withdraw them. "'Come, come,' he cried. "'I want to know the truth. You're not certain that the water in this bottle is poisoned?' "'No, it's possible. Still, just now. I thought so, but no, no.' "'It's easy to make sure,' said Perenna, putting out his hand for the water-bottle. She was quicker than he, seized it, and with one blow broke it against the table. "'What are you doing?' he said angrily. "'I made a mistake, and so there is no need to attach any importance.' Don Luis hurriedly left the dining-room. By his orders, the water which he drank was drawn from a filter that stood in a pantry at the end of the passage leading from the dining-room to the kitchens and beyond. He ran to it and took from a shelf a bowl which he filled with water from the filter. Then, continuing to follow the passage, which at this spot branched off toward the yard, he called Mirza, the puppy, who was playing by the stables. Here, he said, putting the bowl in front of her. The puppy began to drink, but she stopped almost at once and stood motionless, with her paws tense and stiff. A shiver passed through the little body. The dog gave a hoarse groan, spun round two or three times, and fell. "'She's dead.' he said, after touching the animal. Mademoiselle Lavassar had joined him. 
He turned to her and rapped out, "'You were right about the poison, and you knew it. How did you know?' All out of breath, she checked the beating of her heart and answered, "'I saw the other puppy drinking in the pantry. She's dead. I told the coachman and the chauffeur. They're over there in the stable. And I ran to warn you.' "'In that case there was no doubt about it. Why did you say that you were not certain that the water was poisoned when—' The chauffeur and the coachman were coming out of the stables. Leading the girl away, Perena said, "'We must talk about this. We'll go to your rooms.' They went back to the bend in the passage. Near the pantry where the filter was, another passage ran, ending in a flight of three steps, with a door at the top of the steps. Perena opened this door. It was the entrance to the rooms occupied by Mademoiselle Levasseur. They went into a sitting-room. Don Luis closed the entrance door and the door of the sitting-room. "'And now,' he said in a resolute tone, "'you and I will have an explanation.'" End of chapter 6